It's always important when you're looking at the Word of God, I remind you often who's writing, who they're writing to, why they're writing, all of those things, or else you will uh, uh, misinterpret what is being said. Context is everything. And particularly tonight in this particular portion of, of James chapter 4, context is everything. There's a lot of confusion comes to people in the church because of a misapplication of context. So who's writing, who they're writing to, why they're writing is always, who was the audience and why were they writing? Of course, James uh, was the half-brother of, of Jesus, uh, if you want to say half-brother, uh, there's such a thing. Uh, earth, he had Mary and Joseph or Mary was his mother, let's put it that way, as well as Jude. Uh, we talked about that at the beginning of when we started James, that uh, James makes no mention, no boast, or anything of the sort about uh, the household that he was raised in. In fact, James and Jude, either one, uh, even believed until after Jesus had died, buried, and resurrected. They didn't believe. It was just Jesus. Is this, you know, like the, they asked earlier in his life, is, not, is this not jo, uh, the carpenter? This is, is this not Jesus, uh, Joseph's boy? Is, is it not the carpenter? They didn't believe. But the, the, James is writing, it's a general epistle. It's written to, when you say the general epistle, it's written to the church, to all of us. written to us. You know, Paul wrote letters to the Corinthian church. Paul wrote letters to the church at Ephesus, to Colossae, to the Thessalonica. Uh, and you always keep in, in mind who he was writing to and the reason. He was addressing uh, situations in those churches. James is a general epistle. It is written to the body of believers. Yes? And I've told you several times that James is basically, I call it, lots of people call it, the Proverbs of the New Testament. That, it, that he takes on a lot of subjects in rapid fire from verse to verse, chapter to chapter. So when you get to, the, you'll see in a second why context is important. It's one of the most uh, probably controversial issues in the church world today, one of them that's, that, that doesn't involve life or sexuality. It's, it's it's, uh, well, actually it involves all of those when we get into it. Uh, it's the subject of judgment. Let's just cut to it. It's the subject of judgment. Probably the most misunderstood, misapplied, poorly taught or poorly learned or never taught, so therefore never learned subjects in the entirety of the Word of God. You know, there was a time when the most well-known Bible verses in the entirety of the Word of God was John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Uh, maybe uh, Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, that was the most well-known Bible verses universally. Today, the most well-known Bible verses are, I can do all things through Christ who uh, strengthens me, or that my God shall supply all of my need. That's Philippians chapter 3 and 4, always, almost always out of context. And, and the second would be actually the number one, somebody could probably know it, the number one known or quoted, misquoted Bible verses in all of the Word of God today and the most known far and wide is Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Judge not, lest thou be judged. The most misapplied, misquoted, mistaught, misunderstood verse in, in the entirety of the Word of God. Now James is about to address it again. The context is, again, of humble yourself. Let's pick up there. James chapter 4, verse, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord... And he will lift you up. Humble yourselves under the side of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That is the theme of the Word of God, by the way, to come to God, dealing with God. It's always about humble yourself. Always. The entirety of the re repentance and redemption only can come 
through humbling yourself. Jesus was our example. We talked about it the other, uh, actually Sunday morning. We, we began to realize that in Philippians it says that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross and when he humbled himself, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So our Savior is the perfect example of humbling yourself and God bringing exaltation. But part of humbling yourself, that look at the context. Because don't, don't, don't separate them. There's not even any chapter separation here. No paragraph separation here. Uh, so within the context of humbling yourself and God bringing, and, and God, will, that the Lord, he shall lift you up in verse 10, it says, speak no evil one of another, brethren. Now that's proven that context I told you about earlier. Speak no evil one to another, brethren. Who's he talking to? The church. Anytime it's addressed as brethren, it's never to the world. It's to the church. He's talking to us. So let's go ahead and establish right up front on a Wednesday night uh, uh, that something that we all need to know and we all need to learn and we all have to put it together in context. First of all, the, why, the reason I bothered to even take that much time at the beginning to explain that again is because if you don't understand who's writing, who they're writing to, and why, then you're going to be confused between Matthew chapter 7 and you're going to be confused in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church where he lays out church discipline and you're going to be confused in the civil areas of Romans 13. You're going to begin to get confused because you're going to misapply Scripture. So let me get a few things out of the way right up front. Well, actually, I don't want to get them out of the way. I actually want to pull them to the forefront of your mind so you can, so you can listen through the lens of, of correct exegesis from the beginning. James is not addressing church discipline. That's a whole different ballgame. And he is not addressing civil authority judges courtrooms police all of those things he's not addressing those things and he's not even addressing what to do with unbelievers when they are wrong or right james is addressing believer to believer that's very important James is addressing believer to believer. And it's in the context of humble yourself. Well, the re before we even read any further, the reason that you would need to humble yourself believer to believer is because Paul would write to the Galatians church to, in, in chapter 6 that, that if a brother be overtaken in a fault, let you who are spiritual restore such a one. Why? Considering yourself now I may be the only one in the room but I have failed God many times so have you I know I'm not the only one in the room and we're not talking about when we're lost I'm talking about as a born-again believer I have failed God and so have you now that doesn't leave, today it is a pretty difficult subject to teach because really most of the church world is so shallow in the word and they don't even want to think any deeper. How I many you know people know that there's a lot of folks that just don't want to think any deeper? They don't want to understand what the word of God says because then they're accountable to what the word of God says. But I got news for all of us. We are all accountable to what the Word of God says, whether we like it or not. That's, what, that's how we are going to ultimately be judged. When it's all said and done, believer and unbeliever are going to be judged from the living Word, which is Jesus Christ, according to the written Word. Hmm? Let me say it again. So whether you're at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer or at the great white throne judgment as an unbeliever, you're going to be judged by the written word, by the living word. And they agree, they're one and the same. In the beginning was the word, John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. 
That's Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Remember? And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. So the living word is going to use the written word. All important. That's why we're hurrying through introduction. So to understand, remember, again, not church discipline here. Not civil authority here. This is brother to brother, and it's the reason he has prefaced it with humble yourself. If I was to write it in the JRV, which I do sometimes, it would be get over yourself. Come on, somebody, where you at? Speak, verse 11, not evil, one of another. He that speaks evil of his brother, who's he talking about? It's real clear, it's right there. Who's he talking about? The church, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now here at this particular portion of the law, he's talking about the ultimate law, the, the, the highest law, the, the one that, that carries through everything. He's talking about what is, the, what is the, the, the greatest commandment, that you love your brother, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So before we go any further, he says, he says, be careful what you do to each other, brethren. And he's going to want you to understand. Can I, I need to say something so you can get it out of the way. Everybody in this room makes judgments. Without exception. People love to say, you know, you're not supposed to judge anybody or anything. There's a, there's a Greek word for that. Well, I think in Hebrew, it's, it's hogwash. And in Greek, it's baloney. But either way, it's in there. There are definitely things we're supposed to judge. And I always use the example. How many of you has got kids? How many of you have got that, that they, you've got kids and they're old enough to date? Or they've already dated? Or they've already married? And they've all that stuff. And if not, they, you have them coming up that's going to. You're going to. You're going to. No, I'm telling you, you're going to. It's not an option. They're going to get married. They're going to have us grandbabies. But that's, that's, that's a side trail. Now, all of you don't judge. <laughs> Brandon, I just lost Brandon. <laughs> all of you, that, all you don't judge anything, people. When, whenever, whenever that punk comes rolling up and he, and he opens the doors of his pickup and it looks like a Cheech and Chong movie, some of you know what that means. Some of you don't know. And, 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 and actually, he don't even get out. He just blows the horn. You know, and she's 16 and he's 28. And he's rolled up and he's blowed the horn out in your front yard. Now, why not? I promise you already, I don't even have to go any further. Everybody in this room has done already judged him he's hypothetical he's hypothetical he don't even have a name but you don't like him right now and rightfully so what kind of fool would you be to send your precious angel baby out there come here Ava I don't know why you're in here tonight but you're a good you're you're since you're here I'll make use of you who in the world? How old are you, Ava? Uh, 13. Uh, okay. <laughs> 13. Now listen to me. You're just an example. This is never going to happen because preachers are going to come have to need bail money if this ever happens. Okay? Well, if this ever was to happen, preachers are going to need bail money. But you, but you know, when 30-year-old, what's-his-name, rolls up and comes after Ava... And Andrea over here says, come on. Go on, it's okay, baby. We're not going to judge him. We're not going to judge his intentions or anything else. I'm going to tell you, the preacher's going to judge him. And first, but first he's going to start with, with Andrea and say, Grandma, what in the world are you thinking? And then I'm going to say, Ava, I'll deal with you after a while. You can go sit down. I, I, I'm going to say, Ava, I'm going to deal with you after a while, but first things first, Bubba. 
You better be able to draw quicker than me. Now, you're saying, what about grace and mercy? I'm, in this situation, grace, I shouldn't say this, is online because grace and mercy might be left up to the good Lord on this one. Because I have made a judgment. And if he don't leave in a hot second, I'm going to pronounce it. Is that right? Thank you. Can I say, can I get a witness? <laughs> all over this room, I've got a witness. Now, we all know we're going to have some self-control. And if he, you know, we're, we're exaggerating, not by much, but a little. But the point I'm making is, is we've take a, taken a hypothetical human being and given you a, a real-life possible scenario, and we've... Uh, we've taken all you judge not lest thou be judged people and made it really real to you and now you've come to their agreement with the preacher there any time that the preacher can get everybody in agreement in the room he is successful and I have successfully got every person in this room to agree with me that we're going to judge that old boy and really quick I'm glad we got that clear because I, to understand anything we're going forward with, you got to understand, get it out of your mind that I ain't judging nobody. Well, I am. If somebody's rolling across, we had a little bit of trouble this week with people that appear to have nefarious intentions on the property with children here. By the way, they're well-protected children. They're well-protected children at Mag Christian Academy. They are well-protected. Uh, just in case this hooligan is watching live stream and scoping us out, they are well-protected. And I've done made the judgment. <laughs> you are foolish if you're going to sit and say you, that, you don't, that you don't take the, the facts in front of you and put them all together and make a judgment. Well, let's deal with the elephant in the room real quick. Then we're, then we're, we're always in James chapter 4, verse 11. How many of you now figured out studying this word? This, the, whole, the word is holistic. And it agrees. Look at Matthew chapter 7 real quick. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. How many of you know it has a verse 2? That Matthew chapter 7 is longer than verse 1. <laughs> I think context is pretty interesting, so let's back up to 6 and 34. Because Jesus, because Matthew didn't write it with chapter and verse, we added that so we could find it. So I'm going to put a little more on it, okay? Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Says, Therefore take no thought of the morrow, for the morrow shall take care thought of things of itself. Sufficient is the day for the evil thereof. Hey, if that old boy rose on my property, he ain't going to need to think for tomorrow. That's not proper exegesis, but I like it. But it is context. He's telling you not to worry in Matthew chapter 6. He's, not he's telling you that to live for him and that if you have your faith in him, that, he, that he's going to give you the things you have need of. He tells you not to be anxious, not to worry. He said, he said don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. He said, he said I, I feed the sparrows. The lilies are greater than Solomon. They didn't even have to work for it. Take no thought for tomorrow. Judge not, lest thou be judged. Verse 2. For what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. 
And with the measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. So, in Matthew chapter 7, this is going to apply back to James chapter 4 in just a minute. In Matthew chapter 7, he's not telling you that, you, that, that he, what he's, he's giving you a warning at first. He's going, to say, he's going to say, if you're going to give it, you better be able to take it. You better, he's saying you better take note of what your standards are. Okay? Back up to verse 1. I want you to see it again. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with the measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. I'm going to tell you where the, right, where the judgment comes from. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, judge with righteous judgment. I am perfectly comfortable. Hear me. I am perfectly comfortable being judged by the word of God. Therefore, I am comfortable to make judgment based on the Word of God. It's the, only, it's the only truth in the world. That's it. Thy Word is truth. Jesus Christ he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, you shall know the truth, Jesus, and the truth will make you free. And who the Son has set free is free indeed. I'm comfortable with the truth of God's word. Because if I judge by my standard, some of you is going to be in a heap of trouble. And if you judge by your standard, others of us are going to be in trouble. And some of us don't have any standards. And the whole world's going to be in trouble. Because when there's no standard, when there's no word, it's anarchy. Chaos. Yeah? Then he goes on to say, so whatever, be careful what, what your standard of judgment is because that's what you're going to get back. Yeah? Do we all agree? Verse 3, and why behold the moat that's in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in your eye? Let's take that out of King James and bring it into something else. Consider not the splinter that you are dealing with when you've got a telephone pole in your eye. Or how will you say to your brother, oh, we're dealing with brother again. Let me pull the moat out of your eye and behold, the beam is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, cast the beam out of your own eye, and then shall you see clearly to cast the moat out of your brother's eye. Back up to verse 4. How will you say to your brother, let me get the moat out of your eye, and behold, the beam is in your eye? He's literally, he even says it here in just a second, he's, he's dealing with judging hypocritically. Whenever you, whenever you're, you got something in your life that you, that that's as big as this half of the building, but you're wanting to go after somebody over here who's got a fraction of what you're dealing with. Right. Now, here's something you need to understand about hypocrisy, because there's a lot of people that misunderstand hypocrisy today. When you, they think that hypocr that if you've ever been guilty of anything, that you're never allowed to speak to that again, because you're a hypocrite. Let me, give you, let me boil it down to a real good example. We got people all the time that don't want to tell their kids not to smoke dope, not to snort meth, not to shoot heroin, anything, whatever. They're not going to say anything. I, I, I'm not going to say anything to them about drinking because you know I drink and I'm not a hypocrite. I, I drink when I was their age. If that's going to be the standard, yes, it's a prime example of people thinking you're a hypocrite because of what you used to do I'm going to ask you a question, Mom and Dad. And please don't get hung up on the examples. They're good ones, but it could be anything. And you're raising children, and if you're, what in the world, your job as a parent, your job as, a, as just a human being, but particularly with children that you're charged with to raise, by the way, you should be raising your children. Your, your children shouldn't be raising you. 
You should be raising your children. Your children shouldn't be raising you. If you're never going to speak into their life the trials that you went through, the consequences you've dealt with, the things that have about put you down, all you're doing is saying, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to try to save you the heartache and the things I've been through. Do the best you can. Hello, hello, hello. Go ahead, go out, go out there and drink a, a half a case. And drive. I mean, I used to do that. I can't, what can I really say? I'd be a hypocrite. Well, I hope they have a good job because I think first offense they're going to need about $12,000, $15,000. Oh, but I didn't want to say anything. Hello. Well, I, I've done my share of whatever, but I, I eventually got loose. So, so you, do, you, don't, you don't want to talk about the times that you were, that by the grace of God, somebody found you and got you to an emergency room and, and charcoaled you or, 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 can't think of the name of it, the Narcan saved you just in time. Just let them do it. They'll find out. They may not find them in time. This is just real. This is real. It's not a, you're not being a hypocrite to have been through a situation and lived through it. And by the grace of God, he, he, he snatched you out of it. And by, by the love of God, he saved your soul and set you on a right path and, and, and washed your past away. And you're not being a hypocrite when you got free from it to say, you don't want to go down that path, son. In fact, anything less than that, you're negligent. He's not, uh, first, uh, Matthew chapter 7 is not, it's not saying that if you've ever been there, you've ever done that, you've ever, you've ever done whatever, that you can't speak to it again. It's, he, read what it says. It says, don't you go to them about their speck, their little issue. Probably don't need to, <laughs> now somebody's going to hear me wrong if I don't say this just right. Because it's, both of these are destroy people. So, but, what I'm, but I'm going to tell you what it's really saying. It's going to say, don't, don't you talk to that boy about his pornography addiction when you're picking up hookers on 11th Street. He's not telling you not to talk to that boy that's steeped in pornography. He's telling you if you're picking up hookers on 11th Street that you don't have any authority to speak in his life. But he said, get the beam out of your eye Get yourself, go to God, deal with yourself, get yourself cleaned up. And when you get yourself cleaned up, then you're going to be able to see clearly to go to your boy. Come on, somebody. Don't you go to them about their Marlboros when, when you're hitting the crack house down the street. Doesn't say that they don't need to be dealt with. It says you're not the one to do it. But it says if you'll get it, if you if you'll go to God and you'll get mercy and grace in your own life, get your own situation straightened up, then you're going to be able to. No, did you notice it says when you deal with your own, then you will be able to see clearly how to help them. When you've been there, when you've done that, when God's brought you out, drug you back, purchased you, put you on the right path, brought you out of darkness into life, separated their sin as far as the east and from the west, you have a real clear view of where they're at because you've been there. Right. Hey, I notice it's a lot easier to find my way somewhere if I've been there before. I need a GPS if I've never been there before. But when I've been, that, when I've been there before, I can pretty much get there. Because I, I, I can see clearly. See, there's nothing in this word that says that we're not supposed to have a brain and, and, and make proper judgments. In James chapter 4, he, he's beginning to, he says, brothers, brethren, he says, don't you go after other brothers for the problems that they've had in their life. Not talking about church discipline. He's talking about petty disagreements. He's talking about when you think when you, you've got this under control, but they don't, and you want to go talk in the in the in the in the cafe. What did you hear about? I know we need to pray about that. 
Hey, God knows your difference between your prayer request and your gossip, by the way. He's talking about, he's, see, there's something that we, that's been greatly misunderstood in the church world. See, because when I'm saved by grace through faith, I see I was never good enough for God. When he saved me, I was not good enough for God. The blood of Jesus made me good enough for God. Hey, guess what? I'm, however old I am and however many years I am and the grace of God, I'm still not good enough for him. It's still the blood of Jesus that, makes, that, that sanctifies me, that justifies me. You too. I got news for you. You can't be too good and you can't be too bad. It's level. And, and I, I, can't deal, I, I can't deal with your struggle and you can't deal with mine. I can pray for you. I can teach you. In fact, it's my job to teach you. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's brotherly love to communicate the things of God to each other. But here's the thing. We get, we get Christians who fail... Oh, can I just get in all kinds of trouble? It's not, it's not as bad maybe in some areas as it used to be, but, I can, but it's still pretty bad. I get real tired of hearing us celebrate the girl we drug in off the street that was in everything in the world and, and, and a mess in every way that they can think of, broken lives. Now, I'm thankful for that girl, that we celebrate that girl. We should celebrate that girl. We're going to celebrate that girl. Somebody's going to have to get with me or I can't move on. Because I don't want you to misunderstand me. We should celebrate that girl that was drug out from the guttermost to the uttermost. That has everything in the world, every strike against her last week. Let's talk about a guy a minute. Because so unless you, in this environment we live in, people think you're a misogynist. I thought I never, never understood that word. I, I've, I've hardly ever had a massage. what people do that boy that's been in all kinds of trouble that was born in trouble you ever met people they just born in trouble I mean yeah I've seen pictures of some kids when they were five years old and I thought they already lost their driver's license and they're 15 years from having it they were Brandon says they were born on probation yeah I get it Yeah, and we celebrate them when they come home, rightfully so. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes home. We should celebrate. But I tell you what I get tired of is when somebody that was born in the house, somebody that's his, somebody that's been his forever, and they fell into some problem, fell into some situation, they got themselves in a mess. And, the, and we can celebrate this girl, this guy, this Sunday, and we can condemn this girl and send her ragging and packing and ashamed next Sunday. This is what he's talking about. See, there's things we're allowed to see. The Bible has standards of behavior and living. There's no two ways about it. God has, that has a righteous standard that he wants to bring you to. We're not talking about legalism here. We're talking about his that only his grace can bring you to. Before you're saved, you had no ability to do it. You didn't even have the desire to. Let's face it. You didn't even have the want to. Oh, if you got in trouble, you might have had the want to. There ain't nobody that can pray like people can pray right before daddy finds out. Ain't nobody can pray like they can the night before court. Hello. People say, I don't know how to pray, man. They can pray. But they didn't change. Sorrow and repentance. They see, that's the difference. Sorrow, see, see, repentance, uh, sorrow, godly sorrow works repentance. It'll bring you to repentance. But repentance is change. It's an opposite direction. I was this way now I'm this way. Sorrow is when the consequences go, go away, then you go right back to it like a dog to its vomit. 
James is dealing with in the house of God when brothers fail and how you deal with them. It's not, it's not the church discipline scenario. I'll cover, maybe I'll cover that in a minute so you'll understand the difference. But the difference, here's what we, we misunderstood on every level way too often as believers. It's failures are not final. Now you've heard that catchy little phrase before. Failures are not final, we know that. But they can be devastating. In the house of the Lord... Well, let's, let's look at it again. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Let's see what Paul told the Galatian church about it. I've quoted it once tonight, but let's, let's look at it again. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Because he's dealing with the same matters. Brothers, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, there's a command here. Are you looking at it? That's not, it's not a suggestion. There's a command here. Brothers. So he's, who's he talking to? Church. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I believe it was Paul that also said, it says, if any man thinks he stands, If any man thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. I'm going to remind you, give you whiplash. I'm going to take you back to the preceding verse in James chapter 4. It says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. There's something wrong with the, with, the, with the brethren and with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when we celebrate another brother's failure. And believe me, there's plenty of that that goes on. There's plenty of that that goes on. Plenty of that that goes on. Plenty of that that goes on. It should grieve us when a, when a fellow believer fails. It should drive us to a place of mercy and grace and restoration. It should drive us to the place when we remember when it was us. You know how many times you hear me say it? I, I just think it's one of the greatest lyrics written in the last 20 years, maybe. Charity Gale sings right now. She, she says, I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I will never, see, I live my life in the windshield. My salvation is ahead of me. See, it's hope. It's always ahead. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Hope, hope is always future. Faith is now. Let me help somebody. Condemnation and guilt is in your past. Faith is now, present tense. Hope is in the future. There's a place for your testimony. That's looking back to see where God's brought you from. But just like driving down Highway 12, if you spend all your time in the rearview mirror, you're going to hit somebody head on or hit the ditch. You're going to get killed because it's in the windshield. But there's a rearview mirror there for a purpose. And that's to see what's going on around you. And our rearview mirror spiritually ought to remind us of where I used to be and what I've been through. And what it took to bring me through it. And it was the grace of God. And it was the mercy of God. And, and I've been through that. See, I, I'm going to tell you. I hesitate. It's always at five after eight when I get to a place like this. Somebody in this house needs to hear it. Because church people have hurt you. There's some things we need to understand. And I just tell, so I want to tell some people the truth. Right, somebody, somebody needs to hear a preacher say this. I have met some of the meanest people I've ever known in my life, bar none, in church. Right. 
And I'm not talking about that they were visiting the same day I was. I'm talking about board members. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about evangelists. I'm talking about Sister Papoofny. Y'all ever met her? I can describe her to you. I can show pictures of her. You'd know her. Because she has all the look. But that face looks like she's been sucking on a green persimmon for about 20 years. She's sour and bitter. I just wanted somebody to know that you're going to find that if you stay in church long enough, if you stay in church long enough, somebody's going to, you're going to get your cat kicked. You're going to get your door dinged. Physically, maybe. Ain't nothing makes me matter than that. I hadn't had my truck two weeks and somebody backed into it and knocked a hole that, about like that in the taillight. Not at church. Or I'd have been running cameras finding out who you was. <laughs> and I'd have forgiven you. After you replaced my taillight. No, I'd have, I'd have forgiven you in advance knowing that you were going to replace my taillight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to tell somebody the church people in God God's never done you wrong God has never done you wrong God has never done you wrong and he never will the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous walk therein He's given, James has given instruction to the house of God how to deal with people in their failures. And it's not, it, he's really, can I, can I sum it all up in a few sentences maybe? Y'all be saying, well, that'd be a miracle if you ever did that. James is talking about backbiting. Backstabbing. Throat cutting. For your own spiritual gain. And in your own, that's why I said humble yourself. In your own pride. Like the Pharisees, it says, I thank God that I don't sin like they do. Now make no mistake. When you're growing in Christ, when you're in Christ, baptized in the Holy Ghost, when you're, trying, when you're in the Word, when you have, a, when you have communication with Him, he is, he is, I'm, being, I'm being conformed into the image of His dear Son. He expects you to mature in Him. He expects you. There is a biblical expectation that you'll be better tomorrow than you was today. And when you've been saved for five years, He expects you to be better than you was the day you got saved. He ex see, He expects His Word and His Spirit to work in your life and to clean your situation up. But, he, but Paul even said on his way out, he said, he talked about, I am not perfected, I have not attained. But on his way out, he said, but I'm pushing towards the mark. I'm striving for it. I'm stretching for it. He said, I am pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Jesus Christ. I haven't got there yet, but I'm striving for it. Amen. See, the things we go after in a Christian's life, when, when, there's, when you talk, let's talk about church discipline things just a minute so people don't get all confused. Because Paul addressed church discipline and judgment and, and to the Corinthian church. And you got people doing everything, every which way but loose, calling themselves a Christian and on pastoring and everything else. The church does have a right to call them into discipline and say, you got to get your act together. You got to clean it up. You got to repent. Give you the chance to do it. And, and, and the really, the, the biblical model is if somebody refuses to repent and get out of that, that you're supposed to disfellowship them. It says, don't even, it said, don't even tell them, God bless you. Don't even have a meal with them. That's scriptural. But that's on church, that's on church leadership that will not repent of their sin. In other words, they still just keep doing it and claim grace. Now, I'm not going to spend much time there because that's not where we're at tonight. You say, oh, now, now I can hear somebody. There's going to be a live streamer. 
that's going to come back in the archives of Mag Church, and they're going to pull a 30-second soundbite of J.R. Armstrong going after Kenneth Copeland or something. Now, I am perfectly content to leave Kenneth Copeland's eternal destination to God. Now, I don't have any right to put anybody in or out, and neither do you. But John tells us very clearly about the, about the false teacher, about the wolves, about all, he said there'll be ravenous wolves. Paul talked about them, Jude talked about them, James talks about them, every one of them talked about them. And he's talking, the things that you go after, see, I, I, I'm not going after a moral failure. Doctrine. All false doctrine, all of it, is supposed to be addressed. And always. False doctrine is not personal. False doctrine is destructive. Oh, I don't think you understand what we mean. What you don't get to go after and judge and put people in hell and out of the ministry and everything else is when somebody messed up 25 years ago and they're never allowed to preach, they're never allowed to teach, that they're never allowed to, be a, to even be a human being, much less a Christian, because the grace of God is what it is. And, it, the, the, and the love of God, by the way, covers a multitude of sins. It's not about those things. It's about the people that are teaching a false way and deceiving the flock. The Bible calls those people wolves, and it says to mark them that cause division among you. Run them out. You'll not find anywhere in the Word of God that it says to coddle a wolf, to try to tame a wolf, to try to... Uh, that, well, you get it. Because we're the sheep of his pasture. Well, all the time compared to the sheep of his pasture, he's the shepherd, the pastor's the under-shepherd, and the wolves are always the invaders, and they're always to be dealt with as invaders. But that's not because somebody sinned. Had a failure. It's because they're a wolf bent on destruction. Hold on a minute. I hope I'm clarifying something tonight. Because when a believer fails and they have godly sorrow and they change directions, the church's job is not to advertise it. That's why it says love covers a multitude. And we're not talking about we're not talking about illegal cover-ups. We're not, remember, we're not talking about ju judicial system here. We're not we're not talking about covering up for predators that Rome has done and denominations have done very famously. That's a wolf, by the way. It's talking about oh the scandal of a failure. considering yourself. Well, how do we know the difference, preacher, between somebody who's just playing us That's the one thing when it comes to their personal soul that's not within your realm. It's way above your pay grade. Or Jesus wouldn't have said crazy things like when a disciple asked him, how many times in a day should I forgive my brother? Jesus said three times, no more. That's not what he said. He said, I say to you 70 times a day. 
times 70. What was he saying? I'm going to tell you, somebody's going to be getting on my nerves if I've got to forgive them 490 times <laughs> a day. Now, I've got some people that work me about that like that. I'm not going to look in any direction. I'm just going to look down. I'm not, don't make any assumptions. Y'all got somebody that works your nerves? That works everything about you? You don't think you work God's patience? I got a question. I'm asking you. You don't think you work God's patience? I am so thankful. He even told you. He told Jeremiah wrote it in Lamentations chapter 3. He wrote it right out there. He said, it said the Lord's mercies. Mercies, what is that? Mercy is that you, when God does not give you what you do deserve. Somebody hear me. Grace is God giving you what you never deserved. Unmerited favor, you didn't deserve it. Grace is God giving you what you didn't deserve. That's how you got saved. You didn't deserve it. But mercy is God not giving you what you did deserve. And I'm thankful for both. Because Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations chapter 3, he said, it is of the Lord's mercies. That means you deserved it. But he didn't do it. It's of the Lord's mercies that you are not consumed. What's that mean? What it says. But I, I read three, twice, three times in the Word, that my God is a consuming fire. He said, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Listen to how often we need it. Are you with me? I'm closing, kind of. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. It says, because... His compassions fail not. Right. I'm not consumed by his, his, of his mercies because there's a reason. Because his compassions fail not. My compassions fail sometimes. Sometimes I get the spirit slap all over me and it's everything I can do not to, not to work it out with somebody. <laughs> yeah? There's a fruit of the spirit called self-control. Somebody need to remember that. It's of the Lord's mercies. I deserve it, but he doesn't do it. That he didn't burn me up. <clears throat> me too, for just two seconds. <laughs> no, I really don't. I don't, there, I don't need that kind of power. Neither do you. Because sometimes I'd regret it. Okay, I, I get hot mad in a flash. Can we talk about us just a minute? Now this one... She has a slow build up, but she can, she can simmer like a crock pot. <laughs> and you know how a crock pot is. Once you get it hot, you can't hardly cool that thing off. <laughs> now me, I can be cool as a cucumber one minute and explosively mad the next second. And if I've smoked you, boom! About 15 seconds later, I'm going, man, I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> now, I think she might be able to feel pretty good about it a few days, but she would eventually get over it. <laughs> hey, y'all all fall into one of us. All of us fall into one. It's at the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed That's right. because his compassions fell not. Right. How often do they not fail? They're new. Brand new. Not old mercies. Not old compassion. Not yesterday's mercy. Not yesterday's compassion. Not mamaw's mercy and compassion. God's mercy. His compassion are brand new every morning. The Bible says. This is where Jeremiah declares, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. 
Oh, we're not supposed to be backbiting and throat cutting and taking pleasure in another believer's downfall and failure and misgivings. That's the kind of judgment that's off of our table. That's never been on it. It never belonged to us. I don't get to put people in heaven. I don't get to put people in hell or take them out of either place. That's God's responsibility. I get to decide about 30-year-old Bubba pulling up, taking my 15-year-old daughter. He's going to need some mercy from Jesus because I ain't giving it to him. And that's my prerogative. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't have a court system. I'll remind you that Jesus told the thief on the, on, on the cross that was guilty. He told the other thief, he said, he said, why are you being this way to him? He said, you and I are guilty of what we've done. But this man has done nothing. And he turned, the thief turned to Jesus and he says, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, he said, this day, today, today, not tomorrow, today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow, that sends something all over me. Jesus saved him on the spot. But the government still executed him. You know why? Because he was guilty. That's why. That's why. See, in Romans 13, you'll find out that God ordained government and civil authority. He did it in the law, too, in, in Numbers and Leviticus. See, the spiritual salvation and mercy and grace doesn't save you from the consequences when you, when you do terrible things. But people who do terrible things can still go to heaven. Because he's rich in mercy. Come on back, Brandon. I tell you, we have a fundamental misunderstanding about judgment. And the church is about that deep on what it means. But tonight we know more than we did when we came in. Oh, I, you know, sometimes I think some of you think the only things I know is old songs. But I was raised by old people. And, I, and I, I'm not old, never going to get old. Now, I may, I, I may add up in years, but... There was no song that, no, you don't have to find it. I, I panic him sometimes. He turns white thinking, I don't know that song. And he's going, come you sinners lost and lonely. Jesus' blood can make you free. For he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. He says, and I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know, that Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. There's a Facebook. I don't like many Facebook things that go around, but I said there's a, there was a day that Paul came into heaven celebrated by the people that he martyred. Think about that. He, he was consenting to the death of Stephen. But when he came home, Stephen celebrated his homecoming. Oh, it's all popular right now, this Netflix series on Jeffrey Dahmer. And what a character he was. It doesn't get it much worse. I mean, and in and, and human depravity, it would be, you would be hard-pressed to find any worse. Maybe Adolf Hitler, maybe, I don't know, maybe. But go, go do some Googling. Go do some finding out. Go do some th And you'll find out that Jeffrey Dahmer's going to be in heaven when you get there. And not because God looks over sin and winks at it, 
Not because he takes it lightly. No, he doesn't. It's because the man sold out, made Jesus his Lord, and the blood of Jesus is that powerful. The blood of Jesus is that powerful. And that, if, that upsets the church, if that upsets church folks, it's because you got religion and don't know who, who he is. See, that's jailhouse religion. What in the world did he have to gain by jailhouse religion? He was never getting out, ever. He knew somebody was going to kill him. He knew none of that stuff. Go read the articles. Go read the stories. Go read the first-hand account. The man got saved. That's an incredible, right now, powerful example of how deep and how wide the love of God is. If he can't save him, then he can't save me. Do you realize that? I, you know how many people I've met that I've just gone too far, preacher? Psh. Bible says it's not, his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. And his arm is not short that he cannot save. There's nobody too far, too long, done too much. You ain't never been good enough and they ain't never been bad enough that the mercy and grace of God couldn't reach them. Biblical judgment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Always for your word. But Lord, tonight I'll thank you for your mercy and your grace. I'll save you. I'll thank you for a price so high that there was only one that could pay it and you were willing to do it. Thank you. Lord, tonight maybe for the first time somebody here live and in person or watching on live stream at home or maybe they'll watch three years from now and for the first time here that I, I can't and understand that there's, I, there's no pit so deep that God's love's not deeper still. That there's no depth of depravity that I could have reached that he can't save me and clean me and give me an eternity with him. And I'm thankful for it tonight. In this room, it's real simple. There's a lot of productions made out of religion sometimes and sometimes it's absolutely in order but the fact of the matter is with every head bowed and every eye closed with that the fact of the matter is is the Bible makes these things really simple that if I believe in my heart on the Lord Jesus Christ and I confess with my mouth that God raised him from the dead that I can be saved Peter said that this Jesus whom you crucified has been most, made both Savior and Lord. He wants to save you from eternal damnation, but he wants to be the Lord of your life. That's now. And religion has made it complicated and God made it real simple. But I confess my sin and believe on him. And then I follow him following. It's not, see, I'm not saved because I've said the right words. I'm saved because of faith and the grace that he brought me to this point. And today I'll follow him. So Father, I'll, for everybody in this room, my direction and my sense is that, it, is that there's people in this room now that's never heard such a wonderful explanation that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit has made it illuminated and powerful to their heart that I, can be, that I can be reconciled to God and my past can be put behind me. And that from this day forward, I can live for you. All over this building, let's pray together out loud. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I don't hear you, every voice in the room. Father, I know I'm a sinner. 
It's not for you. There's people around you that need, that need to hear and need to pray. Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. Tonight I confess my sin. I renounce my sin. I turn from my sin. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. From this day forward, I will follow you. Every day of my life, I will follow you. When I fail, not if I fail, when I fail, I'm going to look to you. And you said, when I sin, that I have an advocate. It says that, you'll, that you will wash my sin, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and I continue in you. Today I make you Lord of my life. And I'm thankful for what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All over this house, if that was you, listen, words don't save you. But the grace of God that quickened the spirit, the word of God by the spirit of God that lets you know that you're a sinner in need of a savior. When you realize that point and you pray in faith, believing, Bible says that you're a new creation and in Christ Jesus. From this point forward, you follow him. You follow him. Get in that word. Find you a good Bible believing church. Pray. I don't know how to pray. You know how to talk. You know how to pray. I go to God just like I go to everybody else. I just talk to him. You say, is it that simple? How can, how can, how can a prayer to a man that died 2,000 years ago change anything in my life? I tell you what. Take him at his word. Take him at his word. And you'll find out. Now leave here in the grace and the goodness of God. Shake somebody's hand. Hug somebody's neck.